0: the battleship pretension i'm tyler smith i'm david Bax. thank you for listening david yeah how you doing i'm exhausted yeah
1: (laughs) we here we're here recording on an off day not our usual day because of um uh well for for a couple of reasons yeah um basically we (laughs) yeah we rescheduled for a guest who then had to change their yep. schedule. So now we're recording uh, the day after we've just done our commentary marathon, which is the longest one we've ever done. Yeah. Because it was for the first four Harry Potter movies. It was a blast. You can find it on the website soon. Um,
0: by the time they're hearing this, they can find it on the website. Oh, man. You turn those around so quick. I appreciate that. Got to make money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a, it's a way to support the, um, the podcast by... Um, Uh, it's there's four. We said the first four movies, yes. Uh, what are they? Uh, how much are they a piece? They're three dollars each, but if you buy all four, it's ten dollars, saving you two dollars, and also, yeah, hearing it the way you're supposed to hear it, which is the way we recorded it, yeah, all day long. (laughs) Um, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, it got. It, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of uh, our our battleship retention regulars and friends yeah. and, and stuff. A on of new and new people and, as well, and some new new voices. Um, we got pretty slap happy by the end, especially I think by the end of Azkaban, we were like, yeah, talking at length about Hudson Hawk in nineteen
0: eighties sitcom Out of This World yeah. <laughs> instead yeah. of the movie because we were just so worn out. Well, because I was looking at the time and I realized that like right as Azkaban ended that's when we're usually done right
1: so then we, had, we had all of, all, of Fire. <laughs>
0: the second longest movie in the series uh to come so yeah, yeah. yeah so
1: that was uh it was it was a lot of fun it was but yeah the the upshot of it all is that i am exhausted today
0: yeah yeah so uh i'm not sure i'm interested to see how this is gonna go already yeah. i can tell my voice is a little uh yeah, hoarse. yeah. um <clears throat> but also i just feel like this is going to be a short episode, yeah. Uh, partially because we're recording another one after this, uh, and so we want to be ready for for that per, that guest. But uh, but also, I just predict you and I are going to say, "Hey, what about this?" Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right, moving on.
1: But you had something you wanted to bring up first.
0: Yeah. Um. And, and I'm not even really sure what I want to say about it. Uh. You know, I've been hearing about Super Troopers two for years, like to the point that it was one of those movies that I thought had already been released. Oh. Uh and I hadn't noticed because I didn't care that much. Oh that's and that it had done fine. And uh and I thought and even at the time, um I'm like, oh, I thought it would make more of a, a bigger splash than that, uh, and then it was released this weekend, yeah, and it did very well. And looking at various like box office, whether it be like Variety or Box Office Mojo, whatever it is, they all say like, oh, Super Troopers two like did surprisingly well. This uh, Box Office Mojo says demolishes expectations, and it was, and that was interesting to me um because. You know if you read these stories it's all about su- the surprise that mm-hmm. super troopers 2 did so well and i thought because you know the first one came out what i mean 15 years ago maybe even yeah, a little so bit longer and um yeah i think it was 2002 so 16 years yeah I and think. so that sounds that sounds right to me around there and it was a, a beloved film i i enjoy the first super troopers wow. not quite enough to get me interested in the second one but uh is it older than that? IMDb says 2001,
1: but it might be a thing where it hit theaters. Yeah, sure. so it um, uh, it played at Sundance in January of 2001, okay. uh, but it actually made its theatrical debut in February of 2002. So okay. yeah, 16 years since the first one. 16, more
0: than 16 years at this point. And it did well at the time, but I definitely think it's a film that has up, built up a cult following to the point that, yeah, hey, a lot of people... I don't want to say it's a function of nostalgia because it's a comedy and as long as it's no. funny, that's all that matters. Yeah. But I do think it's a situation where the people that saw it at the time and loved it were people our age, college students and yeah. probably some high school students who thought it was the funniest thing they ever did see. And, and by
1: the way, I don't know what's edging into your tone here, but Super Troopers is still very funny. It is very funny. <laughs> it really I, holds up.
0: What I mean to say is that. uh Yeah, I I started getting snarky. I don't mean to, because I do enjoy it. But I think... So now a sequel has been made, and I'm almost positive that the people that saw the film are our age who are thinking like, oh, I remember I loved that movie back in college. Uh It's an opportunity to go back and and sort of relive that in in your own way. Um, And so I...
1: Super Troopers 2 was funded by the most successful Kickstarter in the history of Kickstarter. Yeah, so that's, a, <laughs> so yeah, that's another reason Again, why, like, why are people surprised? Obviously, people wanted to see this movie. I'll yeah. tell you my theory. I'm sorry, were you still... Did you no, I just
0: uh, that it's, it's interesting to see. I feel like Anchorman felt like that a little bit to me, except that one, oddly enough, I didn't have much expectation that it was going to be good. Um, Anchorman 2, you mean? Anchorman 2, yeah. I, I, I think... <sighs> I think there's a problem it's, it's uh
1: noteworthy that you the two things you mentioned are comedies i think the reason it's a surprise is because it's a surprise to the established industry and critics yep. who have a century-long track record of not really understanding what makes people laugh and what is good about comedies look right. at like i mean super troopers again I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Go look at it's Rotten Tomatoes. It's like 35%. Oh, wow. And it's critics and people who greenlight movies are out of touch with comedy. I mean, I, that's a broad generalization. Obviously, there are some who, yeah. who, who get it. And they it, still greenlight it, but I feel like
0: they do it with a shrug. Like, yeah, all right, sure.
1: Yeah, and then they're surprised when something's funny. Like, what had American Summer, which I consider one of the all-time seminal Comedies in in cinema history is also was also widely panned when it when it came out. So uh, uh, and so it, it it's the only thing that surprises me is that these people keep being surprised when comedies when when, the, when these sort of comedies do well because they don't they don't get it they don't get what's funny about it. Meanwhile, the the the, the sort of the more mainstream comedies uh, are just they end up being cookie cutters, like replications of like, well, it's weird that this thing worked. Like we didn't know what four year old virgin was going to be, but now let's spend a decade making every comedy like 40 year old virgin. Um, and some of those are good and some of them aren't, um, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's what happens. They, they don't, the establishment and the so-called gatekeepers, uh, oh. who are the, uh, enemies of cinema, enemies of art. Oh, good. Uh, right. <laughs> they don't, they don't get comedy consistently throughout the history of film. So I so see you're not that tired, um, <laughs> but, uh, because
0: any sort of, no, I
1: know. Gatekeeperism when, really, uh, yeah. really,
0: really chaps my hide. Yeah. Um, it's something to talk about at some point. The idea of, I do feel like, like there needs to be an element to creating art where it is difficult. Like it kind of, it kind of separates the, you know, quote unquote, the men from the boys and that sort of thing. But I feel like it should just be the process is difficult as opposed to there's some, there are people out there who just say, no, no, no. And make you jump through hoops. Right, yeah. Right. And that's um, the
1: worst thing about, I mean, having worked uh, as a PA in, in the industry, and like the worst thing is this feeling that you have to like pay your dues and earn your stripes like you have yeah. to you can 't do anything in Hollywood unless you've spent at least five years being treated as less than human right and, and it's and it 's like you guys you 're making fucking movies we're not curing cancer here yeah you know what i mean we're not we 're not disarming bombs like the shit isn 't that important, but people produ- Hollywood producers because they have Stockholm syndrome from having from usually most <laughs> right. of them, a lot of them at least coming up being treated like like garbage.
0: Yeah.
1: They turn around and, uh, uh you know, like, like the cycle of abuse yeah. <laughs> treat the next. And they think that it's worth it. They think will work for me. This is what happens. But we need to get to a point where, um, working on movies gives you, uh, regular hours. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, better pay at the lower at the lower end, uh or at least pay you know per four hours. You know, they like the ways they get around paying PAs overtime is yeah, it's gotta be criminal, but it's so established. And if you whistle, if you blow the whistle on it, then you're never going to work again. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is, I've gotten so far off what our original topic was, which is the surprise success of super troopers
0: too. Well, and, and, but and the and gatekeeper thing just is and a critics do it thorn too, my side. in their own way. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, as you know, it, it, I'm often bothered by the way critics are depicted in movies and such, um, and TV, but there's with, I think, Ratatouille being the best one for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that the character is allowed, you know, a nice redemption without actually undercutting any of his values, right? Um, but he does say a thing where he says, You've been competing without an opponent, and uh-huh. that's when the character is he's so high on his own opinion, yeah. that he literally views himself as an opponent uh-huh. to the success of somebody trying to practice this art. And I feel like a lot of critics do that. I mean, I, I, fall prey to it as well. And I think with comedy, it's, I feel like comedy and horror, two things that I've, uh, that I, I've said before, I associate them because they're about involuntary reactions, uh, whether it right. be a laugh or a scream. And I think it can be at least horror. It allows you, there are some stylistic things you can latch onto, but as far as what scares a person and what makes a person laugh, it's very hard to quantify that. Yeah which means you can dismiss it if it's not the thing that makes you scream or laugh. And so, uh, which is one of the reasons why comedy, especially I'm always reluctant to review one because in the end, I always feel like it's just going to be like, yeah, there's this one like Chris, <laughs> like Chris Farley. Like there's this one scene. It's super funny. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be that. And so I do think, and I think, I think it's possible that critics actually do understand how difficult comedy is. And so, and, know, it's, and so they approach it cautiously.
1: Yeah. And it's even art. Art is subjective to begin with. And comedy is like another sure. layer of subject subjectiveness on top of that. But uh, yeah, we'll get to the ads in a second. I wanted to say something as far as. Um, yeah, I don't. As a critic, I don't see myself as an opponent, but I do see my if I see a bad movie before it comes out i feel mm-hmm. like almost like the first guy to spot the tornado like, oh, yeah, yeah. like cyclone you know the, the 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 uh what's it called the twister on the horizon there's yeah. a, the cylinder there's a name for that um anyway uh like you're the guy you're the, if the he, guy
0: with the minesweeper
1: you're <laughs> right along. yeah and if that guy doesn't then call in like the tornado yes. warning that's an ethical yeah. uh violation there and that's how i feel i feel like i have an ethical duty sure.
0: to let people know how bad rampage is or Whatever. yeah or just like hey this didn't work for me for the following reasons you know <laughs> it's it's something by the way okay yeah unsurprisingly we are off on a number yeah. of tangents but that's all right our topic today isn't remarkably in depth um that's true. so uh there's a a something that i saw in the special features of the Criterion Spartacus many years ago is an in-depth interview with Peter Ustinov, and I'm a big fan of Peter Ustinov. I read one of his autobiographies, mm-hmm. uh, uh, delightfully titled "Dear Me," um, and he just has he just has a really interesting way of expressing things. And so, uh, one thing that he says that you know audiences or whatever they will the difference between like an artist and uh, a non artist, and he's not saying that in a way that looks down on people, is that An audience will look at, like, it could be a comedian, a writer, a poet, whatever it is. And they look and they say, like, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it that way before. I'd never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. And he says, but, of course, you had thought about it before. You just had not thought to put it into words. And along those lines, like, I've heard people look at, you know, Jackson Pollock paintings or abstract paintings and say, like, well, I could do that. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't, yeah. You know, that's—and the fact that this person chose to— speaks volumes and that's what we should be thinking about and along those lines yeah anybody can be a critic and anybody's uh reaction to a film is perfectly legitimate the difference as long is, as they've seen the film as long as they yes yes as long as they've seen the film uh but when it comes right down to it like if you're willing to put in the time uh, uh-huh. <laughs> to let's say get a degree of some kind or put in the time to actually craft a well a, a, as well-written review as you can put together you know putting effort into the expression of your opinion um i feel like it doesn't put you above anybody else but that in itself i think legitimizes you a little bit more than the person who says, well, I could do that. It's like, yeah, but you didn't, did you? Mm-hmm. I did. And yeah. so give me a, just give me a second.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Alright, so, anyway. All right. All so right. who is this uh, discussion oh. brought to you
0: by? Uh, this discussion of Super Troopers 2, obviously, uh, is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only $8.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline Currently available on movie is Hong Seng Su's Right Now Wrong Then. Have you seen this? Film? i never have no. It sounded really interesting as I was as I was uh, reading about it here. Uh, it is a wicked uh, wickedly conceptual comedy of melancholy and life choices, divided into a bifurcated structure of two dueling narratives of varying possibilities, chance, and outcome. All of Hong's storytelling gambits pay off in this Golden Leopard winner. So, I find myself thinking of the the. As you know, I'm not a huge fan of 500 Days of Summer, but to me, one of the, I would say, brilliant scenes in it is expectation versus reality, like the, the split screen. I've thing. never seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Um, it's not a terrible movie, but there are two great sequences in it. And essentially, the main character goes to a party where his ex-girlfriend is, and he has an idea of what it's going to be. Uh And so on one side of the screen is expectation on the other side is reality. And, uh, unsurprisingly, they're very different. And it's a very, it's a very sad moment, but one that feels very real, especially any, having anything to do with relationships, romantic or otherwise. Um, and so the idea of splitting things up and like, Oh, it could go this way. It could go that way. Uh, that's something that appeals to me. And it sounds like that's a big part of sliding doors. I did not see sliding doors. I I actually heard it was pretty good.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like it's a movie that everyone like kind of, Agreed. On their own was good. Like it came out yeah. and no one cared, or at least that's my memory. I was pretty right. young. But it seems like then 10 years later, everyone looked up and we were all like, oh yeah, we all really like Sliding Doors. Who made Sliding Doors? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, back to Right Now, The Wrong Man. I haven't seen it, but uh, listeners will remember that Hong Sing Su's On the Beach at Night Alone right. made my top 10 uh, movies of 2017. So
0: uh, I should check that out. Yeah, it sounds like I'm, a really interesting film. Um, and uh, so there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try movie free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or you can go to battleshipretention.com and click on the ad on the left-hand side of the page. Uh,
1: and I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. I haven't used them yet today because it's a Sunday morning and I haven't had... I've only been listening to music in my car on the way over here, but... um the last time it lit on Friday, uh, I, so this band, uh, the, uh, stoner metal band sleep who haven't put out an album in 20 years, put out a surprise album on 420 first, new first yeah, music yeah. in, in 20 years. Uh, and I was, I mean, I was like, okay, like I like, I like sleep dope smokers, like a really great album slash song. Um, and then, uh, but I was like, you know, usually when a band comes back after 20 years, it's not always great yeah and then i listened to the new sleep album five times in a row because it's so good oh, wow. and i listened to it again this morning yeah. uh, while i was getting ready to come over here so uh yeah i've been using uh my here, here just just listen to the new sleep album which is called
0: the sciences real quick i will say this uh so listeners know that uh as i'm looking for teaching work i've also been driving for lyft and uh, i was driving thursday uh-huh uh evening uh, yeah afternoon and evening and as i f- and right around 10 10 30 i started noticing that everybody that got in my car smelled <laughs> very much of weed and and i thought like that's weird i wonder why oh yeah and it's like we are very close to the day and i believe it was the first 420 since the recreational yeah, legalization yeah. of of weed so i was like okay i guess i can expect this and unsurprisingly there were a lot of cops out uh oh that, that makes day. sense yeah. Not not to, like, bust people for, like, illegally using it, but for driving uh, right. while yeah. under that influence. Um,
1: anyway, so that's tweakedaudio.com. Those earbuds sound great. Uh, you can find them at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. Uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yeah. Let's get into it, shall we? All right uh, I, uh, listeners of the movie journal, uh, know that somewhat recently I watched very uh, in, in close proximity to one another, uh, Barry Lyndon and Tom Jones. Mm. And I noticed something about but those movies have a lot of things in common. They're set yeah. in, you know, they're picaresque type stories set in generally the same, uh, you know, time period. They're both uh, super zany. Um, <laughs> well, eh, no, not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But one thing, another thing they have in common is that they both have unseen, like third person narrators. And yeah. I started th- to think about that as, as a trope in movies and when it's used and when it's used well and how it differs, I guess, than from the first person narration, which is yeah. often, I think, not unreasonably viewed suspiciously. Right. Well, sure. Yeah. Um I and mean, I think there are there are definitely movies where the first person narration uh, works. I don't know if any are
0: leaping to mind for you right now.
1: For, uh, where uh, first first the first person, person yeah. works?
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, any number of films more. I think Double Indemnity, it works really well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's there's a nice uh, there's a nice, for lack of a better term, twist in Casino Regarding <laughs> first person narration. Yeah, that's, which um, is so
1: stupid, but it's. It is stupid, but it's. Yeah. it's I love it. it it's yeah. a lot of fun. Which is, yeah. Uh, but we fun, can just I say mean, what it tragic. is. Yeah. yeah, the Joe
0: Pesci's character is narrating. Yeah, there are three narrators, I believe. Right. There's Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone, also. Sharon Stone knows. is one, yeah. and Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Yeah, and so
1: Joe Pesci's narration, he's narrating over the scene where he's about to get killed. And when he gets killed, he gets hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat. The narrator, him and the narrator goes, ugh. Yeah. And so it just
0: stops immediately. Yeah. Which, here's what's funny is that it, you know, it's meant to be a fake out. Like, like, Uh oh, well, he's not going to be, he's not narrating if he he dies. Oh, wait, no, I'm wrong. Um, But it also means that, like, he's just been walking around in his life narrating his actions like he's writing a novel I know that's not what it actually is yeah but like he's narrated he's writing his own novel in his head which I think is funny but anyway so let's talk so um then uh
1: why then does someone use third person narration
0: yeah it's a good
1: question I mean it seems like both Barry Lennon and Tom Jones are based on novels. It doesn't seem like that, that it, that is right. what it is. <laughs> what I mean is it seems like there's seems something, like there's that, something yes. novelistic about having a, oh, no a third person narrator Cause that's how we read most novels. I mean, so mm-hmm. a lot of them are in the first person too, but, um, uh, which makes me think of something like, uh, Stranger Fiction, which is a hit or miss movie, but mm-hmm. that sort of has that type of narration. Right. Because it is about a novel, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Or a novelist or a, yeah, whatever that movie is about. Um, I'll I'll say this real quick as I was uh, you know as I was researching this this topic um, you know it's not uncommon to find yourself uh, in a forum and people are throwing stuff out there and I realized uh, very quickly after going to a number of forums people do not understand what third person means Um, it's nuts like this is I don't want to sound elitist or snobby but it seems like a simple concept to me. Yeah. First person and third person. Yeah. And, you know, people are saying like, oh, Shawshank Redemption's like, w- what? Yeah, that's not... And someone said fear and loathing. It's like, no, he's right there. Yeah. He's narrating his own thing, you know? It's... Yeah.
1: Yeah. What, he says, what did we you... were on the edge of the desert yeah. <laughs> yeah. near <laughs> yeah. Barstow when the drugs began to take hold. Yeah. It's... Not it's... they were. That's...
0: <laughs> it's, you know, and I thought like wow, this isn't helpful. I'm going to have to rely on me now, (laughs) which I don't like. Um, Mm.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. Even since, uh, um, watching Tom Jones and Barry Lyndon, I've seen Isle of Dogs, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just the latest Wes Anderson movie to use this conceit because Royal Thunderbombs uses it. And in a fun way, Moonrise Kingdom uses it where the narrator is on screen, but he is still essentially a third person narrator because he doesn't really affect The action in the other way. Right. You know, I like that.
0: Yeah, uh, along those lines, yeah, and we'll get back to Royal Tenenbaum's in a moment, which I think is probably the one that people our age think of most when they think of this. They probably, if anything, they probably think of Arrested Development first.
1: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I would say, I mean, yeah, people our age who are into. movies, the kind of movies that we're into might think of, yeah. Royal center bombs. And the other
0: two that immediately come to mind are Amelie yeah. and Utsumama a Yeah, Those are the, the three I think of. Yeah. Um, and it's odd. They all came around about the same time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Oh shoot. What was I? Oh, um, along the, the lines of, of moonrise kingdom, uh, there is narration sort of in Magnolia. I mean, Ricky J's comments do come in from time to time. He is that's a right. character in it, yeah. That's true. but he's in like one scene and he's a producer of a TV show. He plays no real role. Yeah. Um, and, but he is still, you know, he's still narrating well,
1: it. Well, that's kind of like, um, the Big Lebowski, which essentially has a third person narrator, except it does. he shows up and he talks to the character, yeah. but he doesn't really have any effect on the action. Yeah, whatsoever. he has no
0: bearing at all.
1: So he's still like I, I feel like Big
0: Lebowski still counts in spirit, but it's not by the yeah. letter of the of the law. Yeah, I think so. Um, because I think it's one of those things where, I mean, the character, you know, the narration starts and we don't see him for a while, and then when we do, our inst- our, our thought is. Oh, wow! The narrator showed up, <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. it, you know, um, as opposed to when the narration starts, we think, "Oh, a character in the film is talking. It's not yeah. that, yeah, um, and he only ever says he only ever speaks in third person when he's narrating, yeah, and no point does he ever say "We because he's not really involved, yeah. Um, I guess at the end when he is narrating while on screen, he does comment on his own feelings. Like I didn't like seeing Donnie go, um, and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is a odd choice. It, yeah. That is a funny sort of, uh, very Cohen ish postmodernist take on the, yeah. on the third person narrator. Um, but I, am uh, I'm glad you mentioned Arrested development, which I haven't thought of because we're talking about movies generally, yeah. but, um, Arrested Development in a way kind of reminds me of Tom Jones, in which the narr- the narration is a little more self-aware. Yes. And therefore jokes come out of the narration, yeah. you know? Um uh, I mean, the, Tom Jones has the great line that I think is in the trailer. I ended up going back and watching the trailer where the narrator says something. I'm, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but he's like, we are all as God made us. And some of us much worse. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, those kind of, those kind of jokes are uh, really why, um, man, the more I think about it, I love Tom Jones. I love it so Lucky much. You. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of other ones where there's a, uh, um, I mean, there's, There's always, obviously, by necessity, there's a detachment. Right. Uh, But, like, Amelie and Itamama don't use the detachment to make jokes. Although Itamama does uh, a fun thing where the narration will occasionally become about something other than the movie. Which, as you know,
0: at the time, bothered me. uh, Yeah. Um, Just because, like, it felt like he did that. Like, at one point, he talks about the fate of various pigs. Oh, was it pigs? Okay. I, I, think I, th- pigs. I thought it was sheep in my mind. Maybe it is it's, pigs. It's one or the yeah. other. I don't remember exactly. I haven't but seen it in so long. But yeah, and and it seems like the kind of thing that an unrestrained, and I say that in a negative way, uh, an unrestrained writer would do. Like somebody who is like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. That sounds fun. And it's like, yeah, all right. What, <laughs> what, what purpose is served? Well, I mean, none. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, it, I, it seems like an indulgence to me that really, and because it doesn't really do it anywhere else, it sticks mostly to these characters, and it does this, and it just felt like it's it's a small thing, really. But, but I think I
1: mean, all it needs to do is work on its own. And I haven't seen the movie in a long time, and I felt that it did work on its own. But I can't speak. It reminded me of uh, this is not narration, but uh, Run Lola Run does a similar thing, sure. where occasionally. Just a character that she like bumps into the sidewalk will get a quick montage of like how the rest of their day went, yeah. Which,
0: you know? And that I like. I think that makes sense because it suggests that in the midst of these action movies, these people have like, yeah. if if not like life and death for our main characters is a fun story for someone else that happened to witness it. Yeah. And she's but you don't, interacting uh, with those people in a in a meaningful way.
1: You don't grant the same leeway to sheep or to pigs. I do
0: not. (laughs) Um, But that's a small thing. And frankly, if I were to watch it now, I might find it delightful. Um, Yeah. I I, I literally haven't seen it in probably when it was like new to DVD. So, yeah, probably more than 15 years. So, who Um, knows? Yeah. And so it's. Arrested Development is a. I don't think they ever step wrong with that narration. Like, it is. First off, it's such an odd choice to have Ron Howard do it. And it turns out he's the perfect choice. Like, his voice. And he is making it, he is choosing to have a, a, a little bit, uh, amused detachment yeah. uh, from things. But also after a while, the stuff they give him to say, one of my favorite things, and nobody ever really seemed to think this was as funny as I did, where he mentions that, uh, uh, Michael, uh, uh-huh. uh Jason Bateman's character, um, he's like depressed. And so he eats a whole thing of jelly beans. Uh-huh. And he says thing like it's, it's basically like a jar or it's some kind yeah. of container, but he doesn't say container. He doesn't say jar. He doesn't say, anything. he says, he eats a whole thing of jelly beans or what? I don't even remember if it's jelly beans, but it's that. And I remember thinking that was the funniest thing that the narrator either can't think of the word uh-huh. or can't be bothered. Um, I thought that was really funny.
1: Two and, of my favorites. Okay. There, Cause there's occasional, I mean, eventually Ron Howard is on the show eventually yeah um but there's also occasionally suggestions that the narrator is Ron Howard because I remember maybe is a studio exec. <laughs> And she like throws a birthday party and no one comes and she, and she's saying like, you know, they don't like me anymore. And then Ron Howard says, and maybe some of us just didn't want to make the drive to orange County. Um, (laughs) But my other favorite, Michael-related one is just, uh, uh, it's at the end of a long day after all this, Michael finally came to a decision. And then Jason says, well, I'm getting some ice cream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what I, here's what I like is that there are, is that the narration, (laughs) The narrator, as as a character, not an actual character, not an active character, but as a character himself with a personality, is so as a fun, uh, with Arrested Development is so ingrained that it has become funny in and of it. It's become like its own little meme. Like there was a thing, there was a Trump thing a few like a year ago, uh-huh. where uh, it. it Trump was like giving a speech about like we're doing everything, you know I'm doing everything I can, and then a couple of days before he was in like a big truck like tr like uh, sitting at the wheel, oh and yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, and so th- somebody made a meme out of it and it cuts to he says i' I'm doing everything I can, and then it cuts to it just shows a a, a shot of him, and then it says, you know. Ron Howard narrative. Right. He wasn't. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've
1: seen a, a number of
0: variations yeah. on that at this point. Yeah. And it's, and it works, you know, if you do it right, it works. And so I feel like that, that, and I do think I wouldn't say, I don't think, um, Alec Baldwin's narration in Royal Tenenbaums is ever really used for comedic effect. Um, usually it's usually it is meant for a, a more, it is more novelistic and it's meant to reveal, uh, emotion. Uh, like there's a, a part where, uh, Royal says I've, these last few days have been the best days of my life or whatever. And then narration comes and says the moment Royal said this, he realized it was true. Mm, yeah. And it's, it's a really nice moment. And, uh, kind of makes me wonder if maybe that's one of the things that, uh, that Wes Anderson has been, missing over the last few years like maybe a narrator giving us cues uh is is what he needs yeah i say this as though like you and i are the only ones that don't really love every one of his movies every although i guess i'll there are others getting some some criticism but yeah there are others but i say like oh you know what maybe that's what he needs to fix things and everyone's like he doesn't need fixing yeah people still still love him um
1: The one, uh, you know, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the show without mentioning what I think is one of the best examples, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the assassination of of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. It's pretty great. Uh, Which is so, especially that, that the long, I guess, epilogue of the movie, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, works as a short story almost on its own and is actually yeah. probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, With some really beautiful music on top it, of everything. It else. is. Yeah. I, I feel like I could. I mean, it would be doing a disservice to the movie, but I could, like, close my eyes and listen to the narration and the music and still be very satisfied oh, yeah. by the epilogue of, of that movie. Oh. It's, it's really beautifully delivered. And it's by a guy. I can't remember the name of the guy. He's not an actor, he's yeah. like a writer himself, and he doesn't have a lot of
0: credits yeah. <laughs> of, of this sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to look up his name. Yeah. And I think that that actually works to the film's favor because if it were an actor then you might spend more time than you should trying to figure out <laughs> who did it. Yeah. You know, who, yeah. that happens a lot like with voiceover uh, in movies and TV shows and such and commercials. Um, speaking of which,
1: speaking of commercials, this is off way off topic, okay. but like, I don't. I don't want to judge other people. I like you know actors or whatever. But I feel like if I'm Matthew McConaughey, like how much money do you need? Yeah. <laughs> like at this point, I feel like there's going to be like a generation coming up now who's like, oh Matthew McConaughey, the Lincoln and Carlos Junior spokesperson. Yes, Carlos Junior. He, has uh, he Jr. does the new well? Carlos Jr. because their their new their new like slogan is something like uh, it's the call of Carl's, pick it up. And so he says. That's the call of Carl's.
0: <laughs> so is it, is, all, is it like, Hey, we have a, a, a commercial campaign that's vaguely mystical, like the call of something or yeah. the mysticism yeah. of Lincoln. It's like, Hey, if we do this, we do not actually have to pay Matthew McConaughey that much. Cause he seems to think it's on brand for him. Um, but, uh, okay. So what do you, so now, what are you looking at over there? Hugh Ross, the narrator. Okay.
1: Um, So I wasn't entirely true. He's an editor, not a novelist. But he also has acted occasionally. He was in Grand Canyon, Wyatt Earp, Zero Effect, For Love of the Game. I've seen a lot of those movies. Uh, They're uh, apparently just small roles. But then after 1999, he has nothing but uh, voiceover work. And even then, it's only on two features. Okay. The Assassination of of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford Mm -hmm. and The Age of Adeline the Blake Blackley vehicle from oh, a couple, from a couple of years ago. And then in a, like a TV uh, show called billion dollar wreck. And that's it. But he's like worked as an editor or assistant editor a ton. He was an assistant editor on year one and Valentine's day and walk hard. And he was the first assistant editor on
0: assassination. I wonder if, okay, so clearly he knows Lawrence Kasdan and okay. then Jake Kasdan Okay. Um, because Grand Canyon and Wyatt Earp are Lawrence Kasdan films. Zero Effect is Jake Kasdan's first film, um, and then I think some of those other movies that you mentioned, Jake Kasdan is real, is associated with in some way. So,
1: do you think he's an editor who people just like his voice yes. and people keep putting him in stuff? I think so because
0: he was the editor on
1: Assassination. So Andrew Dominic must have been like, "Oh, you should do this." Probably, yeah, and and like
0: <laughs> and because
1: uh, especially because like directors in post spend a lot of time in
0: dark rooms talking with their editors. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know? And, and it might, and sometimes they will do like a temp track, uh, themselves oh, right. and maybe, and sometimes the, the, you know, the director might just like it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. A few things. Uh, I say this as though we need to hurry up, but I guess we, we don't really have, I
1: mean, we have some, we have 15 minutes till our guest shows okay. up. So we should probably wrap up in 10 minutes.
0: Okay. So, um, so I'd say yeah, I talked about Royal Town Moms, We talked about Eto'o Mama. Okay. Um, talked about Magnolia. Uh, there are, you know, a lot of times when you think of narration, like first-person narration, you will think of, of film noir. But there is occasional third-person narration. Uh, the Killing has third-person narration. I haven't seen it in so long. I yeah, love that movie, it's, though. And it's this, you know, it's, it's not necessarily hard-boiled, but it's that kind of thing. It's that sort of... Uh, Dragnet, like very serious and official, like a cop or an FBI agent is telling you this story. Um, and I remember really liking that at the time. It's very striking and it feels very official. Like this is a thing that actually happened, which right. it, it did not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the Naked City has it too, now that I think about it.
1: The one, um, Okay, so I'm looking at other people because I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of Little Children because I only saw it once, and I don't, it wasn't nuts
0: about it the way that other people are. I liked it quite a bit, and yes, I as I was doing research, people mentioned Little Children, and I was like, I should write that down except I don't remember right. the narration. And so I, it's a movie I need to I, I keep meaning to rewatch because there's a lot of elements to it I love, uh, specifically Jackie Earl Haley.
1: Um. Now
0: we talked about the Coen brothers
1: movie, the big Lebowski mm-hmm. in which the third person narrator shows up, but doesn't affect the action. Mm-hmm. There's one where the third person shows up and then says, I'm not supposed to do this. And then does affect the action, which is the Hudsucker proxy. Yes. yes. Um, that's an even further, I guess, twist on the, yeah. uh, on the trope. Um, I'm not sure if that disqualifies it from this this uh, list, but it was wor- I think it's worth mentioning that it that he even acknowledges. Yes. Strictly
0: speaking, I'm never supposed to do this. And then he <laughs> affects yeah. the action. Yeah. As, what he's basically saying is like, I'm supposed to say third person and not first. <laughs> yeah, but you right. are forcing me into this. Yeah. Um, along those lines, I will mention this. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, okay. Sebastian Cabot is the narrator. Um, the narrator he says um and he you know i mean they really play up the storybook element you know the the book opens up you see words and then you zoom into an illustration and then it becomes the the movie uh but you do see uh words
1: um okay uh well, let's let's wrap up um right I guess so, our guest yeah. is here. He, he's a friend. He can wait two minutes. Right. Oh,
0: um, we make him wait all the time. Uh, it, yeah. We're, we're, well, he's early. Okay. Um, but yeah. And so there's, there's literally a point where uh, Tigger is like at the top of a tree and the narrator tilts the book so that Tigger can, balance on the actual words and slide down. So it's, it's a very strange thing, but I I really think it's, it's good use of third person narration.
1: Okay. A couple of the funny, uh, even if they're kind of sporadic throughout the movie, um, idiocracy, no question. And Scott Pilgrim, both use like funny, uh, uh, funny versions of
0: third person narration. Idiocracy has one of my, when he's talking about the movie ass, and then it won all these Oscars, and says including best screenplay. Uh-huh. And I was like, "That is." And he plays, and he says it just right. Uh-huh. And I think it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, all right. Um, another quick. I want to mention the TV show real quick.
0: Actually, which is pushing okay. daisies. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, by uh, Jim Dale, who actually mm-hmm. does all the audio books of Harry Potter. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Um, That's great. And then. Uh, it's not uncommon to find narration at the beginning of a movie, JFK, uh, okay. with Martin Sheen, at the beginning with Casablanca, you have it. Uh, so two that I really wanted That's to mention. That's how I think of Magnolia, but I forgot there's more yeah. <laughs> later in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, there. Yeah, so there's two that I really wanted to mention. One is uh, La Jetée. I haven't seen that, which is such a fascinating film because it's not moving film. It's just all these images, and the narrator is just saying everything, and it's it's really effective. Uh, Network has third person narration, and I thought it was just the opening, but it actually isn't. Okay, Um, you know he's talking about the history of Howard Beale, and he says that eventually he gets fired, and then you know he says you know Max Schumacher took uh, took him out.
1: All right, so um, we're going to wrap up. Uh, you can find us at battleshippretention.com or uh, you can email us at David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow us at DaveyPretension or at TylerPretension on Twitter. Um, Tyler's other website is MoreThanOneLesson.com. There's all sorts of great stuff on the website this week. Um, yeah, sorry for the short episode. We kind of had to cram this in schedule-wise. Things happen. Uh, but pick up the commentaries for more fun.